Yesterday, when we left off, we were left in a hopeless state. We were hopelessly, helplessly screwed up. And according to the scriptures, every one of us is screwed up, and therefore the eternal destiny of every one of us is both physical and spiritual death, total separation from God, existing forever in agony. But we know from what happened to Paul and what happened to David and what happened to Abraham and what happened to Peter that there must, in fact, be hope. So how, then, do we get from hopelessness to hope? Well, to answer that question, here's what we need to do. We have to ask life's most important question. We have to learn perhaps life's most startling fact. And we have to discuss my mother. So first of all, life's most important question. Why Jesus? Why? If God is who he says he is, if he can do all of this, create the sun, put us in motion around the sun, the trees, the river, the mountains, if he can do all of this, what in the world is the necessity of going through this whole Jesus bit? If he is, in fact, the supreme creator of the universe, why doesn't God just go poof and in one poof, hopelessness turns into hope? Why? It's a great question, and it deserves an answer. And to answer that question, we must discover life's most startling fact. All of us are brought up to believe, and sometimes we are preached to believe, that God, in His infinite power, in His omnipotence, in His omniscience, in His infinite strength and wisdom, can do absolutely everything and anything. Right? That's wrong. Life's most startling fact is this. There is one thing that the God of the universe is absolutely incapable of doing. And that one thing is this. He can never act contrary to his nature. Because if God ever acts contrary to his nature, he ceases to be God. You say, well, Sam, maybe, but I need some explanation on that. Well, to explain that, I need to tell you a little bit about my mother. How many of you out there have a mother? Everybody have or had a mother, right? How many of you think your mother is pretty special and pretty unique? Most of you. That's good. I know some of you might not. Well, I thought my mother was both pretty special and I knew she was very unique. Next uh, week, I think June the 4th, would have been her 101st birthday. She died when she was 96. But she was born in 1915 in a home in Hollis, Oklahoma. 
And she was born, I don't know what time of the day, but she came out and that was awesome. And her, uh, the, there wasn't a doctor there, whoever the midwife handed her to an aunt whose name was Roberta. So they named my mother Roberta. Pretty cool, but it's normal. Seven minutes later, her identical twin sister was born and handed to an aunt whose name was Mona. So they named her Mona. Seven minutes later, a third baby was born whose name, after the aunt, was Mary. Triplets, wow, in 1915. Seven minutes later, another baby was born and they had run out of ants with decent names so they gave it to Aunt Leota and she was named Leota. And so in 1915, without the modern medicine, these four little girls were born in that small town in Hollis, Oklahoma, weighing less than four pounds each so that they were placed in ovens on low heat to incubate them. They all survived and they all lived into senior citizenship. The occasion uh, brought forth a telegram from President Theodore Roosevelt to my grandfather. It was such a miraculous event. You say, okay, well, Sam, that's pretty, pretty cool. But uh, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, I want you to think of the nature of God exactly like those four quadruplet sisters because the nature of God has four really crucial parts that are all interrelated as those sisters were. The first quadruplet of God is holiness. Now this is the most misunderstood attribute of God and the one we talk about probably the least. But holiness means set apart without blemish. Holiness, young people, is what gives God His essence. The essence of God is His perfection, His total goodness. And it's very important that holiness can never be tainted with anything that is anything other than goodness. So we have holiness. Then we have the next quadruplet of God, which is justice. Now justice, if you guys went to a large public high school or maybe even small, justice I kind of equate to the assistant principal. When I went to Memorial High School in Houston and graduated class of 1966, any Mustangs out there? Nice, nice, okay. But anyway, the guy's name was Mr. Shopper. And Mr. Shopper was the discipline guy. If you did anything wrong, and I did on a regular occasion, you had to report to Mr. Shopper, and back then, it was legal. He had this big wooden paddle with holes in it. Wham! 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 So he was a discipline guy. Justice is the second characteristic of God, and justice means simply this. God's essence is always going to give you and I what we deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Then the other two characteristics of God are like, like those two sisters that were identical twins, my mother and Mona. The first one is love. Now this is not the type of love you and I have, obviously not like the love for a man and a woman. 
Not even the brotherly love like you're here in Philadelphia. This is the Greek word is agape, which is unconditional love, which means simply this. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter how you act, no matter if you turn your back completely on God, no matter if you spit in His face, His love for you never slows down. It never decreases. Regardless of how you are or who you are or where you are in your life, God's love just flows and flows and flows and flows and it never, ever stops for any reason. And then that second quadruplet is mercy. Now mercy is the person that's so compassionate that they forget about everything else and they just want to. They feel so much for those that are suffering that they just want to fix it regardless of the circumstances. So mercy is basically the characteristic of God that wants to give you everything regardless of whether you deserve it or not. So that's fine. Here we have God. We have holiness and justice and love and mercy. And they are coexisting forever and ever. Somewhere in the timeline of eternity, Satan, who is a heavenly creature, is kicked out of heaven and made the prince of this earth. And over time, Satan has decided, because he wants to be God, that he is going to do whatever he can to destroy God. And so prior to even you or I or Adam and Eve or any of those dudes, Satan is out there and he's trying to destroy God. And he's, the, he's smart and he's powerful and he's cunning and he's conniving. But no matter what he does, he can't be good enough to beat God. And so Satan is sitting over there sulking in the woods. And then Satan perks his ear up because he believes that God, after eons, makes a crucial mistake. That mistake was the creation of you and I. Seeing that you and I have been created in God's image, and seeing the affinity that love and mercy have for each of us, Satan devises in his brilliant but demented mind a strategy which he believes cannot be defeated. Because he cannot defeat God from the outside, he chooses to put God at war with himself so that he is defeated from the inside. So Satan seduces Eve and then Adam to sin. That sin immediately separates mankind from God. And Satan goes back to his corner to watch the result. And the result is this. Love and mercy are looking out over mankind saying, you guys are awesome. It is awesome. Come here. Come be with us. Come be in our presence because you can't imagine how awesome it is. It is awesome. And so love and mercy are saying, you guys come on and you storm the golden gates of heaven. As we begin to move toward those golden gates, a large and powerful figure steps in the doorway and crosses his arms. This is justice. And just as mankind reaches the gates, justice holds out his arm and all of mankind stops. And a loud, powerful voice of justice says this, 
Show me one of you who is worthy to walk into these gates. Show me one of you who is without sin. Show me one of you, just one, who has never thought a bad thought, done a bad deed, said a bad word. Show me just one. All of mankind in the history of mankind goes silent and takes a step back. Justice turns to love and mercy and says, Fellas, I understand your feelings, but don't forget, we've got holiness here. If one of them walks in these gates with the taint of that evil, holiness is destroyed and our goose is cooked. Love and mercy are sitting over here going, What? What? Look at them. We created them. We can't just leave them out there. Justice goes, fellas, it's a done deal. No way. This is crazy. We aren't going to do it. And so there's a big turmoil within the very nature of God. In the meantime, Satan is sitting in the bush going, yes, yes, yes. I've got him. It's going to be me. Satan makes one futile mistake. He doesn't realize that in addition to the quadruplets, there's another sibling. Just like my mother had four older siblings, she had a big brother whose name was Bubba. And she would go to Bubba whenever there was a squabble with the quadruplets, and he would come in and handle it. Well, the nature of God has another characteristic who's been off, I guess, at college or something. And he comes home, and his name is Wisdom. And wisdom walks in and sees the nature of God at war with itself and goes, wait, time out, time out. What are we doing, fellas? What are we doing? Love and mercy sit there and go, look, Wiz, here's the deal. Justice won't let them in. We created them. They're awesome. They got to come in. That's it, okay? Justice goes, wait, 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 wait. Look, wisdom, I understand that you know a lot more than I do, but I know this one thing. Not one of them gets in with their sin. Not one. Not one. That's the rule, and you know it. You know it. Wisdom goes, hold on. Hold on, Justice. Now, Justice, what you just told me is correct. Justice, you, Dad right is correct. I know the rules, okay? Wisdom then turns to love and mercy. He goes, love and mercy, you understand that what Justice is saying is correct. Yes, we do. We do, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We just want them in. Hold on, hold on. Justice, he turns to. If there were one of them that was without sin, that had never committed one evil deed, could they then be allowed to come in if that person paid the penalty for all of them? Now, Justice starts to think because he knows wisdom is going somewhere, but he can't figure it out. He goes, well, okay, yes, that's right, but it's impossible because nobody can be like that. Wisdom goes, okay, thank you. He turns to love and mercy and goes, love and mercy, you want them, right? Oh, yeah, we want them. You really want them to be with us, right? Oh, we want that more than anything else. You really want them, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's the deal. Go down there and become one of them. Be born like one of them. Grow up like one of them. Be hungry like one of them. Be thirsty like one of them. Be tempted like one of them. Get tired like one of them. Have to sleep like they have to sleep. Have to walk to go places. You go down there. You be one of them. You grow to adulthood. And 
you agree to suffer in a way nobody has ever suffered from now until the end of time, how much do you care? Now, I'm going to tell you, if it was me and I was love and mercy, I'd have had to think about it. But I don't think love and mercy thought about it one second. They said, we're in. And what you need to understand, every one of you needs to understand this, the second foundation of the faith is this. God really does love you. You. Stand up. Turn around. What's your name? Olivia. You see Olivia right here? If none of us were here, if Olivia was the only human being ever created, love and mercy would have made the exact same decision. Sit down, Olivia, thank you. Because here's the fact. God doesn't just love mankind, and He doesn't just love your family, and He doesn't just love the people in your church. He loves you so fully and so completely, individually. He loves you in spite of everything you've said, everything you've thought, everything you've done, everything you will do, everything you will say, everything you will think. He knows all that stuff. And He's still willing to come down to earth and sacrifice Himself because He cares for you that much. And so He did. And here's what happened. He grew up to be a man. He did nothing wrong. He healed the sick. He preached the gospel. He fed the hungry. And then they arrested him. And they took him to a trumped up court where they broke about 42 Hebrew laws and Roman laws. And they convicted him. And they dragged him out into a courtyard and they put an olive branch with thorns about this big on his head so that the thorns begin to pierce his skin and blood begin to flow down the sides of his cheeks. And then they ripped the clothing off his back and they tied him to a beam about this high and lashed him with his wrist and made him bend over the beam. And then the Roman soldiers took whips with handles and leather straps about six feet long with metal studs about every six inches. And they took turns among two or three of them, taking the whip and lashing it across his back and dragging it across the skin again and again and again until his back resembled a piece of raw hamburger meat. Then they took up a cross, perhaps about that size, but much heavier, and they placed it on his shoulder, and with those same whips, they began to whip him up this very gradual hill, Golgotha. And as they whipped him up the hill, the very same crowds, perhaps five or six times as large as this group, the very same people just like you and me, who just days earlier had praised him, called him the King of Kings, Hosanna, the Lord of Lords, and thrown palm branches at his feet. The very same people picked up rocks and threw them at him. They cursed him. They called him names. They threw rotten vegetables at him. And all along, 
He trudged slowly, carefully, up the hill, never turning his head in spite. His eyes focused forward, knowing in a purposeful way what he had to do. When he got about halfway up the hill, in his complete humanity, he could go no further. And he fell to the ground where the guards whipped him to try and get up, but he could not rise. And so they pulled a man from the crowd who carried the cross up to the rest of the hill. And when they got there, there were two common thieves already hanging. They took a spike about this long and they nailed it through the left hand of Jesus the Christ. And they took a spike about this long and they nailed it to the right hand of Jesus the Christ. And then they crossed his left leg over his right leg and they took a spike about this long and they nailed it to the frontal bone of his left leg and out the left calf. And through the frontal bone of his right leg and out the right calf. And then they tied his feet around and they raised the cross. And there the Son of God, the Savior of the world, was left to die the most horrifying death known to man at the time, the death of suffocation by crucifixion. And as Jesus hung there, his disciples scattered save one. The crowds continuing to taunt him, the soldiers continuing to taunt him, the pain becoming evident every minute by minute until finally he yelled, Elohim, Elohim, Daddy, Daddy, and don't you know, as a father myself, I can imagine that God the Father was standing there knowing He could end one with a snap of a finger, send a legion of angels to destroy the entire earth and bring His precious Son back to Him. But He also knew that in doing so, you and I would be destined for eternal hopelessness. And so as the Father looked at the Son in great pain and agony. Finally the moment came and the father turned his back and he walked away. And at that moment, with the breasts becoming more and more labored, finally the son gathered all the strength he could muster, filled his lungs full of air in spite of the excruciating, excruciating pain, and with a mighty shout, he said these words, not just a whimpering finish. A mighty shout, he said this, It is finished! And he died. And at that moment, the golden gates of heaven flew open and you and I were offered the eternity to fly in there and spend eternity with God in a place where there's no pain, no agony, no war, no prejudice, no fear, no hunger, only love and peace and joy and happiness forever and ever and ever and ever. And the third foundation of the faith is this. He really did die just for you.